You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. If you have your Bible, uh, I'd ask you to turn to Philippians chapter 3. And if you're able to stand for the reading of God's Word, I'd ask that you do so. Philippians chapter 3. This is probably, you know, this is, this is what every pastor says. This is probably one of my favorite books in all the Bible. But it, it really is one of those books that I feel like Philippians is just, I mean, it's, it's short, but it's sweet and it gets right to the point. Uh, really, we, we preached a series through this entitled Choosing Joy. Because people are looking for happiness and joy, but really it's found in the person of Jesus Christ. Paul's writing this letter to uh, his, these, these people that he loved there at the church at Philippi, and he's writing it from prison. If you didn't know that and you read the book of Philippians, you're like, this guy's just loving life, man. He's, just, he's on the beach just hanging out, writing a good letter to these people. Paul was in a bad situation. But even in the ups and downs of life, we can have joy and we can, we can have that peace that passes all understanding. Because happiness comes and goes. It's like a roller coaster. Sometimes it's way up here, sometimes it's way down here. Sometimes you just want to get off the ride and all those different things. But the joy that's found in Jesus Christ is just all throughout these chapters. And, and it's just really been helpful in my own life and just to go and see Paul's attitude and how he approached his life. We're really going to cover just two verses, verses 10 and 11 uh, this evening. But we'll read up to that point and read through verse 11 just to get the context of what Paul is saying. So you found your place there in Philippians chapter 3. Verse number 1 says, Finally, my brethren... By the way, Paul's a preacher. He said, finally, and then wrote a whole other chapter. <laughs> I try not to say that. And I know your pastor probably does. He's like, I'm almost done. And you're like, he said he was almost done. This is Paul. This is where we get it from. You know, Paul is just the great teacher of that. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write these things to you. To me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision which worship God in spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Paul's reminding them why they do what they do, that they're saved, that they're, it's not about all the things they've done, it's about they've placed their faith in Jesus Christ. And it helps them to move forward and they have no reason to have confidence in themselves and the things they've done. But I love this, I love that the Holy Spirit allowed Paul to write this, but Paul says, but if you want to talk about that, if you want to talk about somebody that can can boast, let let me tell you my credentials. That's really what Paul lays out here in verse number four. He says, though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, an Hebrew of the Hebrews as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. I, I, I hope you understand the things that Paul is saying, these aren't light things. I mean, this is not something you just say because people can check your life out and say, that, that doesn't match up. Sometimes you hear somebody talk a lot of trash and then they can't back it up. Paul has backed up everything he's saying. This is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and he's laying it all out. And he said, hey, if anybody was able to get to heaven on, his, on their own, Paul is saying, it was me. Look what he says in verse number seven. But what things were gained to me, those I counted for loss. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, whom I have suffered the loss of all those things. All those things Paul was building his life on, he said, I lost it. And not only did I lose it, but here's what, here's what I figured out. And do count them but dumb. They're worthless. I mean, it, it, it's just cow manure. That's what he's saying. 
It's not, it's not worth anything. I mean, that's what his life was about. Why, why did he count it all but loss? That I may win Christ. Verse number five, nine, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, that the righteousness which is of God by faith. And here's the verses we really want to look at this evening. Verse number 10, that I, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might obtain unto the resurrection of the dead. Paul's laying it out to this church because he's got a short time and a short letter to get a lot of things there. And in chapter 1, he was writing and kind of giving an update, almost like a missionary update. Because they're worried about their preacher. I mean, he's in jail. He's in, he's in a dungeon. And they had sent an offering to really help him out. And he's saying, hey, it's okay. But really in chapters 2, he's saying, enough about me. I, I want to talk about you. I want to make sure that you're on the right path, that, that you're allowing God to work in you. And it's not about what you've done. And Paul's saying, if you start thinking that it's about what you've done, it's not going to get you anywhere because I've tried that. And they're thinking about, well, how can Paul have such joy and happiness? It's found there in verse number 10, that I may know him. I want to preach this thought tonight. All you really need to know. That's what Paul wanted the Philippians to know, and I think it will be helpful to us tonight. Let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll jump right into it. Father, we are thankful to be here tonight. We're thankful for your, uh, another chance to open up your word. Lord, we're thankful for the songs that were sung and uh, the messages that were there. We're thankful for the special just reminds us of the amazing grace. Every time that I hear the song, it just reminds me what you did in my own life. Lord, I pray if there is one here tonight that does not know you as their Savior, that they, they would come to that knowledge. Lord, they would see your love and this truth here in the, in the text tonight. We know the Holy Spirit can do all things, and we pray that you would work in that life. But Lord, I pray for those that do know you as their Savior, that tonight we would be encouraged, we would be reminded that there's so many things in life that can call for our attention and to distract our time. But there's one thing we all really need to know, and we need to know it more, and it's you. Help us to take these truths and apply it to our life. I pray you would be with us now. You would give us uh, listening ears, listening hearts. Be with me. Give me the words to say. And we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. In 1986, a great year, by the way. Only amazing people are born in 1986. Any, any 1986 people out here? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. There we go. 1986, a great year. Some of the teenagers are like, what? What is that? There was a book that was released entitled, All I Really Need to Know, I Learned in Kindergarten. I wish I would have picked that book up before I went to middle school and high school. But in, the, in this book, the author writes this. He said, all I really needed to know about how to live and what to do and how to be, I learned in kindergarten. He said, you see, wisdom was not at the top of the graduate school mountain, but it was there in the sand piles at Sunday school. And he goes on in the book to say this. These are some of the things that he learned in kindergarten that, that has really helped him in his life. He, he said one of the things he learned in kindergarten was to share everything. Don't you love when you're parenting and you're trying to get your kids to share? I mean, sharing is just not natural for any of us. I have a hard time sometimes sharing with my wife. You ever been to a restaurant and say, hey, you want anything? No, I'm not hungry. Is this striking a nerve with anybody? Oh, let me just have one of those fries. And then you look over and all your fries are gone. Just hypothetical situations we may deal with. Play fair. We always tell our kids, life's not fair, but you need to play fair. That's what he learned in kindergarten. 
Don't hit people. That's also a good thing. My son's having a hard time with that sometimes. He's at that age, he's eight years old, punches everybody. And he's tried to punch uh, Brother Heath. That's not a great idea. I was like, listen, man, if you're going to punch somebody, make sure he's not huge. And if he is, make sure you can outrun him if you're going to do that. But we teach our kids that. Don't hit people. Here's one. Put things back where you found them. I'm still struggling with that one. Hey, babe, have you seen, or where'd you leave it? Well, if I knew where I left it, I would not be asking you this question. Clean up your own mess. Don't take things that aren't yours. Say you're sorry when you hurt somebody. Here's one that we just learned a couple years ago. Wash your hands. Some of you are probably way ahead of the curve. You've been washing your hands for a long time. I'm glad they told us that so we know that we should wash our hands there. Here's one. Flush. Still, it's pretty good. Been to youth camp too. That's a, that's a needed one. This is one of my favorites. And I did not, I did not like this in preschool and in kindergarten. I did not like taking naps. But he said you should take a nap every afternoon. I'm, I'm learning to appreciate that more and more. I don't necessarily fall asleep, but just to sit there and just to relax, you know, I wish you could bring a little mat to, that has your name on it and you just bring your mat to work and you just roll it out there and you turn all the lights down and nobody's allowed to talk. That's what he learned in kindergarten. I love this one. There's a lot of other ones, but I like this one. He said, when you, when you go out into the world, watch out for traffic, hold hands and stick together. We've all seen a preschool on, on a, maybe a field trip at the zoo and they're all wearing the same color shirts and they're all holding each other's hand. Now the line's not straight and they're pulling each other down, but they're sticking together. And unfortunately, some adults have not learned this list and are still working on them. But it's okay, we'll get there one day. And see, while this list has some important and, and some really practical things on it, it really doesn't cover the most important thing that you need to know. And we know what that is, and we see it here in Philippians chapter 3. The most important thing that every single person that's drawn breath on this earth needs to know is who Jesus Christ is. And the importance of it. And it's not just about knowing him. See, there are some people that know a lot about Jesus. And it's not about uh, what we can quote about him, but do we know him? It's not about being religious. Hey, it's good to come to church, but we don't live our life based on religion. We live our life based on a relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ didn't come to, to establish a religion per se. See, that's what the Pharisees thought. And they were really upset. They thought, hey, when the Messiah shows up, he's going to see how religious and how awesome we are. And we dress in these really awesome robes with hats. Have you ever seen any of the stuff the Pharisees would wear? And they're going to, he's going to come and pat us on the back. Well, when Jesus showed up, it wasn't like that. And when they realized that he wasn't all about their religion per se, but he was more about a personal relationship, and he met people where they were, he didn't leave them there. He didn't go to their sin and say, hey, just stay where you are. No, he loved them where they were, but he loved them enough to take them where he wanted to go. Yeah. And he set up that relationship, and, and we see that all throughout the, the, the Gospels and how uh, Christ loved them. And, and we see that, that, that Paul showed us last week that religion doesn't save you. I mean, I mean in these, these first eight uh, verses... That's what Paul's saying. Paul's telling these Philippians just to remind them, they knew this, religion doesn't save you. If it, if it did, I would have been saved a long time ago. That's what Paul's saying. He said, read my credentials. You can't even get close to those. And we couldn't. I mean, Paul would basically have probably the first five books of the Bible memorized. I mean, he would know it that well. That's how into the scriptures he was. But he knew all those scriptures, but he didn't know who Jesus really was. 
And he's saying and he's reminding them that it's, it's worth nothing. It's, it's, it's dumb. See, the single most important thing in life is to know Christ personally. To, be, to know him and to be so close to him. To have that intimate relationship where he's just, he, he's just a constant presence in your life. It, the idea is this, when Paul is saying that I may know him. When he, when he says that phrase, it has this, that he's always on your mind. Like, like when you wake up in the morning, you're thinking about him. And when you go to work, you're, you're thinking about him. And when you, you go to school, young people, he's, he's on your mind. Here's one, even when you're at church, he's on your mind. Sometimes church is the hardest place because we got so many things. We're going here and we're doing this. And it's like the furthest thing from our mind, but he should be on our mind. When you're driving down the road, is he on your mind? He needs to be. I don't know how, what kind of traffic you have around here, but I grew up in the Metroplex, like DFW. You need Jesus when you drive down there. It's like testing you. And it's just, is he there? Is it something that you're always thinking about? When you're at a restaurant, when you're pumping gas, when you're at the grocery store, I can't speak for you, but I can say this, I don't think I'm there yet. I don't think Paul was either. I mean, if Paul, if the Apostle Paul, he's going to say later in, in, in chapter, uh, the same chapter, that he's still pressing towards that mark. Paul said, I have not apprehended, I haven't arrived. I still don't know the Lord like I want to know him. I would imagine that this room is full of people that just haven't quite made it there yet either. They, they, we're still on this journey, and, and I don't know you, but I'd like to know the Lord as much as I possibly can. There are times in my life where I know that I, and I kind of feel that I'm growing spiritually and I'm in tune with him and I'm growing closer to him, but there's also times in life where it just kind of feels like, man, I can't get going. I'm just kind of here. Paul felt that. Paul, Paul understood that situation. I do feel in my life that I, I, I think little by little that my spiritual life is deepening. I think that's the goal of every Christian. Peter tells us in 2 Peter 3.18, but we're to grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I think sometimes we, we live in America, we want everything to happen real fast. I mean, we want to come to a church, hear a message, we'll come down here and pray, we're going to walk out there and we're just going to be super Christians all the time. That's how it works. It's not a drive through It's not a fast food place. And, I, and I, I'm of the opinion, I would rather them cook my food. You ever been in a drive-thru and somebody's honking, they're getting all mad? I'm like, listen, if you can get your food in five seconds, it may not be the best food. But sometimes we expect our spiritual life to go that way. But, but the idea is that we're growing day by day, that it's, it's little things here and there. And if we really step back, we can see how God is taking us and moving us and growing us. And Paul, Paul was about that. Paul, Paul, Paul wanted to be, be closer to the Lord every single day. To be a little bit better. We hear it all the time. You hear it at camp, young people. You hear your preacher say it, no doubt, from this pulpit. Hey, that we're just to be closer to the Lord every single day. And Paul lived that, and he tried to explain that. But to say that I really know Christ like this, where he's constantly on my mind, I don't think I can because it's, it's, I'm not there yet. But I want to be. And Paul wanted to be. Because here's the idea. When you, the, the, the more you get to know Christ, the more you want to know him. It's like you get that taste of something and you think, man, this is good. Hey, I'll, I want another bite. That's why those people at the mall are geniuses with the little free samples. Because they know like, you're hungry, your wife's shopping, and you're just roaming around the, uh, the, the free samples. You're thinking, you know what? I'll have another one of those. And then you end up buying like a $14 meal because it's at the mall. It's not worth $14, but they got you hooked on it. 
Listen, the more, the, I know that's a silly illustration, but it is, it's the idea that if you taste and see that the Lord is good, you think, you know what? I want some more of that. I want to know him more. I mean, if he's this good here, I mean, how much more can he be in this part of my life? Because you realize that he saved you and, and he saved you from hell, but he, he cares about your marriage. He cares about your friendship. He cares about your work. He cares about your finances. He cares about everything. Amen. And if we can know him more in that. Maybe you feel the same way that I felt and you're thinking to yourself, I want to know him that much, but how? I'm not Paul. We, we see here in verse number 10, I get this idea that after salvation, Paul didn't adopt the attitude like, man, I made it. I, may, I, I met the Lord on Damascus Road and I'm good now. That's not Paul. What we see throughout Paul's life and we see, we looked a little bit in the book of Acts and you see it throughout his, his letters to the churches and the different things. Paul never became complacent. He was never bored with Jesus Christ because he didn't just sit there and do nothing. As a parent, that, the word bored, I'm bored, just is like nails on a chalkboard. And sometimes it's worse than others. Like as a parent, you save money and you want to give them this gift for their birthday or Christmas and you get it all wrapped up. I mean, it's nice and they're playing with it. They're so excited. And the very next day, they're like, I'm bored. I'm like, Lord, help me not hurt them right now. You ever been there? I'm like, you got a brand new bicycle. Do not say the words, I'm bored one more time. And I'm, I'm, you're thinking, man, this guy's struggling in parenting. Yeah, welcome. Welcome to the club. But, but when I look at Paul's life, he didn't just get to the point where, ah, it's just church. Just the Philippians. It's just Thessalonica. Hey, I've already been here. I mean, I've been here two Sabbaths. What's another Sabbath? I mean, is it that big? I don't see that with Paul. He never got bored with Jesus. He never got to that thing. And the idea is that we must have the same attitude. We had, that, we, we had that hunger and that thirst. You, you remember when the Lord saved you and Paul never got over the fact that God met him on the Damascus road and he turned him around and he saved him from hell, but he didn't just save him from hell. He gave him a life that was worth living. See, Paul was doing all these things. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrew. He was circumcised the eighth day. He was of the, of the stock of Benjamin. He was of all these things, but he was empty. But when he met Jesus, everything changed. And you see that time after time after time in the, in the New Testament. When Jesus showed up and met somebody where they were, it changed their life. One of my favorite stories is Mark chapter 5 when he goes over to Gadara. And he meets a man possessed by the devil. A legion, in fact. And he calls him out and he changes this man's life and he's sitting in clothing in his right mind. I just have an inclination. That guy never really got bored with Jesus. The Bible says he began to, pu to publish all over to Decapolis how great things the Lord hath done. Listen, we, we look at that story and think, wow. Man, if I had a story like that, you do have a story like that. If you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, you know what you need to do? Publish to your Decapolis because that's what Paul is saying here. That's why Paul was so effective. He didn't have something special. No, he just had Jesus. And that was the goal of his life. He, here Paul's not speaking that he may know him in salvation. He's already referred to that. That's what those first eight verses are, nine verses. He's saying, it wasn't my righteousness. Paul had righteousness based on the law, but all righteousness, but the Bible says, is as filthy rags. None is righteous, no, not one. And, and Paul came to that conclusion, and he realized that Jesus is offering his righteousness. 
And he, and he accepted that and it changed him and it justified him. That word justified is a, a, just a biblical term that means just as if I've never sinned. But here's a, it means this as well, just as if I've always obeyed. And Paul realized that when God looked at him, that's how he looked at him. And that's how he thought about him. And Paul, that's why he was able to pin words like in Romans 12 that all the things that he's doing, it's just reasonable. It's just reasonable service. But he wasn't just going through the motions. He wasn't just saying, well, I got to do this checklist because, I mean, I have to after all the things. No, he said, I want to. It's something that I want to do. But what Paul is driving home in this text is, is that once you know the Lord in salvation, that your desire should be to make him known and to know him more. That, that's, that's, that's Paul's life. That's his, this is kind of in, in a nutshell. So the question is this. Do you really want to know Christ? Do you, do you really want to know him more? Do you want to know him as much as possible? I would imagine the overwhelming answer in this room tonight would be yes. That's why you're here. You want to know him more, and sometimes we want to know him more, but we think, how do we do it? How, how, do, we, how do we make that a reality in our life? Well, Paul gives us a couple uh, uh, ways to do it. The first thing we see here is that we can know the power of his resurrection. See, the resurrection is what changed everything. When, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he wasn't the only person to die on the cross. I mean, he was, he was hanging between two thieves. This was how the Romans did it. It wasn't the cross per se. It was who was on that cross and why he was doing it. But what stamped the approval of God is when Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead. Amen. See, the resurrection is what changed everything. We, you've heard the song probably, you can travel and you can see the tomb of Muhammad and, and all these different things. Guess what? Their bones are still in there. There's a song sung this morning, there's a tomb that is empty in Israel. And we sang that song, Because He Lives. Hey, the, the, the tomb is there, the grave is empty, so we can know the power of His resurrection. Amen. And when Jesus Christ rose from the dead, your sins were paid for. Now, that my prayer is that you've accepted that gift. But when He died on the cross, He paid for all the sins of all mankind. The simple question is, have you accepted that gift? And I'm thankful that my sins are paid for. I'm thankful they're under the blood. It's okay to say amen even in a Baptist church. It's okay. We can, you can get excited about that a little bit. I am. I think Paul was. And that's what kept him going. I, I mean, I don't know how else you would keep going. It makes no sense. I would stop and people would look at his life and say, man, Paul's life was a waste. I mean, this guy was, was extremely intelligent. I mean, Paul's mind was like a razor sharp. I mean, to be a Pharisee in what he was, they would look at his life and say, what a waste. You can look at it all throughout Scripture. You think people's lives, Stephen, man, just stoned, stoned there to death. What a waste. No, it wasn't a waste. Because he was living his life and he was doing what God wanted him to do. And because he rode from the, rose from the dead, he sent his spirit and he, he, he sent the Holy Ghost to live inside of every believer. And that's the great thing, that if you're saved here, you know this power. Paul's saying that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. Listen, we can know it in two ways. The first, we've already explained a little bit, but we, we realize this resurrection power in salvation. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 6, verse 4. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up also from the dead by the glory of the Father, 
even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Paul's just simply explaining to these, these believers and reminding them, listen, that resurrection power, that, that ability, that, 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 that fuel, so to speak, that's going to help you go in your life, it's already there. That when you realized you were a sinner and you placed your faith and trust in Christ, you were buried with him in death. But you were raised to walk in newness of life. That's why we say it when you baptize. Hey, it's a picture of the death and the burial and the resurrection. And Paul's saying, you've experienced that already. And if you're saved, your old man was buried. And he's dead and gone. And when you came up, you're a brand new creature. That if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. But not only do we, is that resurrection power evident in salvation, it's evident after salvation. Listen, God didn't just resurrect Jesus from the dead so he could pay for your sins and then sit down and not do anything. No, he saved you so he could grow you, so you could serve, so you could share, so you could do all the things that he's called you to do because you can't do them in your strength. And so that's why he's given you that ability. See, we, we were saved to become more and more like Jesus. That's why we go through scriptures and we see these men and women in the Bible and think, man, I want to be like them. You can. Just keep growing. Just keep accessing that power. You got to plug in. If you want that power, you got to be plugged into the source. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 19 says, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards usward who believe? According to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at, on his own right hand in the heavenly places. Paul's just simply reminding us that we're free. That that power that raised God from the dead is working in our life. If we allow it. See, we celebrate, as, as Americans, we celebrate freedom. And I'm thankful for the freedoms that we have. I mean, you look at our world. We, yeah, we got some problems. We got some issues. But you look around the world and we have a lot more freedoms than everybody else. And we celebrate that and, and we shoot off an insane amount of fireworks on 4th of July to remind everybody about it. But it, we, we do and it's a great privilege to live in this country. But there's a greater privilege we have as Christians. We are an emancipated people in Jesus Christ. And Paul loved that. And Paul lived that. And see, many times we look at that resurrection power and we say, wow, that's awesome. And it is. But he's saying, what are you doing with it? If you go back in chapter 2, it's probably right just across the page. And in verse number 12, he said, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation. He's not saying do some works and get saved. No, he's saying because you're saved, you should do something with it. You should, you should work it out. I mean, you know, I didn't get these giant muscles by doing nothing. <laughs> Seeing some of your weight. You had to work out a little bit for them. It, it, you have muscles, but in order to get them a little bit bigger, you got to do some work. Hey, saying in your spiritual life, in order to, for it to grow, do some work. Get involved. Love people. Serve whatever God's called you to do. For, verse 13, for it is God which worketh in you. See, he's the one that's in there. It's not going to be your strength that does it. It's going to be God working in you. Because the Christian life is an inside-out thing. It's not get everything good on the outside and, hey, let's trick everybody. No, you get everything right on the inside, and it's going to show up. Amen. That's what the whole Sermon on the Mount's about. Right. It's about the inside-out principle and really Scripture in general. God wants our heart. The Pharisees were like wide sepulchers. They were really good-looking on the outside. They were full of bugs and dead men's bones. That's what they were. 
And we see that in Paul's life. He's reminding us that with the help of God's mercy and God's love, we have the strength to endure whatever life may throw at us. Paul, Paul was dealing with that at this time. Life was throwing him some really hard curveballs. But he just kept swinging. Yeah, he missed a few times, but God was there with him. See, there, there, there should be areas in your life where this resurrection power is evident. You, you can look at it, and that's, that's what Paul's getting them to see. He's saying, listen, you, you might have not had the credentials I had, but you were probably trusting in something. You're probably trusting in your job and your situation and your finances and your family or whatever it may be. He said, you were trusting all that, but when Jesus showed up, it changed everything and it saved you. And they're thinking, that, that's right, Paul, man, I love that. But he's saying, look at your life and just see those areas now where God's still working in you. And I would encourage you to do the same thing. Maybe it's in your witness. Maybe there was time before you were just deathly afraid to talk to anybody, to invite anybody, but now you're kind of excited about it. And you're still nervous, listen. I'm still nervous. Sometimes the Lord says, hey, talk to him. I'm like, I don't think I want to do that. But you have that courage and that strength. It's not you. It's that resurrection power. Because you know why? It's because you've tasted and seen and you, and you love your church and you've got friends and relationships. And you just think, man, I, people in my, my work need this. Because that's why you're here tonight. This is a family. It's a church family and it helps you. And you think they need that. Maybe it's in your giving. Maybe when you first got saved, like, oh, here's a guest preacher preaching on tithing. Listen, before I got saved, I, want, I wanted all my money. I was like, man, I earned this. I worked hard. Well, it's by the Lord's mercies that we're here. And he begins to change the way that we think and things that we were so uh, dead set on. We have to have this and we got to have that. God's not against us having nice things, but maybe God's given you the ability to have some money or some timers and you can give it to them. I know this church loves missions. You had a missionary last week and, and, and you when you really get what the Lord's doing and you realize, man, there's people that have never heard the gospel one time and somebody's willing to go, I think, brother, was it Brother Unruh that was here? To Sri Lanka? A place where literally the economy has completely collapsed? Yeah. And I think brother, brother Thomas said 300 rupees to one dollar. I mean, it's insane. But yet he's willing to go. And you think, you know what? I can get behind that now. You know what that is? That's that resurrection power working in you. Because the things that used to be important, they're growing strangely dim, as the hymn writer says. And you begin to see things that are a little bit more important. Maybe it's overcoming temptation where it's not that we don't sin anymore. But you, we used to be able to just sin, just sin and sin and sin. But maybe you can look at your life and realize, that, you know, it's getting a little bit further and further. And the, when we do sin, we're quicker to run to Jesus. Because we don't like it anymore. So we used to be just wired that way. But that old man is dead. Now he tries to rear his ugly head every once in a while. That's what Paul is reminding us. That's what Paul is, is showing us in this situation. So here's the question. The Christian life's not meant to be lived in our own power, but in his. Are you accessing that power? You know, if somebody came to me and said, hey, I got a new Ferrari. Do you want to drive it? Oh, no, I don't want to drive it. I would take those keys in a heartbeat. I mean, it's just, it's just like a dream of every little boy to just get in a Ferrari or Lamborghini, something just really fast and just go. But wouldn't it be silly if we got in the Ferrari, had the keys, and we just got in there and went, you know, like when you're little and you got in your parents' car and you just made really loud noises? And somebody's like, Dad, what are you doing? You got the keys. No, I'm, I'm okay. 
I know that's silly. I, I know. It's just what, it's just what I, I'm just goofy. But that's so silly. You're thinking, you got the keys, put it in the ignition and go. I wonder how many of us live our Christian life like this. We're just making a lot of noise. We have the keys in our hand and we're not doing anything with it. We would think of a car, that's crazy, but in our life, man, it's, it's an amazing thought. You know what made Paul so effective? He put the keys in the ignition and he went. And, and he let God use them. See, we can know Christ more through the power of his resurrection. And secondly, we'll finish up quickly. Finally, brethren. <laughs> we can know him through the fellowship of his sufferings. See, we can know his power in a lot of areas in our life, but there, there's, there's nothing quite like when we go through difficult times. And we go through suffering. This is not the part of the, the, the message probably we want to talk about a lot. Nobody here enjoys trials of life and suffering. There's a sign-up sheet back there. And if it's like any Baptist church, it's difficult to sign up for things. And they get up here and they make all this. I know how it is. I don't want to sign up. I want to see who signs up. I want to... Nobody's signing up for suffering. Nobody. Listen, the Apostle Paul wasn't. We, we look at his life and think that's just what his life was. But he wasn't looking for it. But I would imagine he would say in those darkest times of his life, when it seemed like nobody was there, you know who was there? Jesus. You know what David said? Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Why? Because he knew Jesus there. See, it, we can meet Jesus on the mountaintop and life is awesome when it's there, but sometimes it's in the valleys. Sometimes it's in the very, very lowest parts of our life where the only person that's there that's Jesus and we just know him just a little bit more. And we realize his love just a little bit more. And Paul was writing from a dungeon. He was writing from a prison. And he was saying, you know what? You, I, I just want to know him more. I, I'm thankful for the resurrection power and how God is working in my life. But I'm also thankful that even in these hard times, even in the suffering that I know him. Peter told the believers there in the early church in 1 Peter 4, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, you shall be exceeding, you shall be glad also with exceeding joy. Peter is saying, and, and Paul is saying, if you want to know Christ more, you need to experience the sufferings that Christ goes through. But not just experience them, but react to them the same way Jesus reacted to them. How did Jesus react to the sufferings in his life? We'll see that here in just a second. But this idea is the fellowship of the suffering is a communion. It has the idea of a, a partnership. Paul tells the believers here in, in the very first part of, the, uh, of, the uh, of this uh, book in chapter 1, he said, for your fellowship in the gospel. That partnership, that communion. He said, just as we have that partnership in sharing the gospel, we need to have the partnership with Christ when it comes to difficulties. Jesus was a man of sorrows. What Paul is saying in this verse, in verse number 10, that life is hard and things will happen that we don't understand, but you never have to walk alone. There's no doubt in, my, in a room this size, there's people that have walked through things I've never walked through and quite frankly don't want to walk through. But I, I would imagine, this is your testimony, while I was there, the Lord was there. And I know him better. It's not that we're searching out sufferings, but when they come, are we fellowshipping? Are we communing? Are we just leaning on the Lord? Because that's what Paul was doing. 
That's how he was accessing that power. So when the good times came, Paul rejoiced in him. And when the bad times came in him, Paul could rejoice because he's saying, you know what? God's the God of both of them. And we know that all things work together for good. To them that love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Paul didn't write it, he lived it. And God worked in his life. See, there's nothing that you can go through that Christ didn't experience. He knows all things. He knows where you're at. Satan's desire is to make you bitter through the trials. But God wants to make you better. He wants to grow you. James says this. I think y'all are going through the book of James. My, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Because we know this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work that you may be complete and, and perfect and entire, wanting nothing. That God's using that to mature you. He's using that to grow you, but not just to grow you, to grow you closer to him. That you may know him. And not just know him in the good times, but you may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. See, it isn't the suffering that allows us to know Christ more. We know him as we triumph through our sufferings as he did. You know how Jesus responded to his sufferings? Victoriously. When death came for him, he defeated it. That's, that's who our God is. That's the power of God. Listen, don't let something meant to bring you closer to Christ be the thing that pushes you away from him. We, we don't want to waste our sufferings. So many times we want out of the storm, don't we? But it's in the storms of life that God really speaks to us. They're in the, 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 when the disciples are in the boat so many times. I'd be honest, I probably wouldn't get in the boat after the first time. Seems like every time they got in the boat, here comes a storm. But they learned to trust the Lord. Sometimes he calmed the storm, sometimes he didn't. He, he was there with them, though, uh, throughout the whole time. What, what made Paul be able to say this? What, what, was the, uh, what was the purpose of his life? He says it, that I may know him. He had one purpose, one passion. He tells us there in verse number 12, not as though I've already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after that I may apprehend that which I am also apprehended. He said, Jesus apprehended me, and I just want to apprehend him. I want to be closer. I want to press towards that mark of the prize of the high calling of Jesus. That was his goal. He had experienced Christ's resurrection power, not just in salvation, but he saw it working in his life. And Paul took that, that, that ability and that opportunity and shared it with others. And said, let me tell you how God worked in my life here. And this is what God did here for me. And that's what you can do as a church family. It's not just your pastor. You can get around with them. Hey, let me tell you what God's doing in my life. And you're there for each other. See, he had to experience this resurrection power, and it's what allowed him to continue to move forward. But Paul says this at the end of verse number 10. Being made conformable unto his death. How was Paul able to live for Christ? He died to self. He was conformable to the death of Christ. That, that he identified with that. He took up his cross and followed him. You remember Jesus told the disciples, if any man come after me, let him deny himself. Let him take up his cross daily and follow me. We don't like those first two. We want to follow him. But that implied suffering. That implied going through the difficult times. But Jesus saying, you don't have to go alone. Paul said this, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That resurrection power. 
that fellowship of suffering. Washing your hands, flushing the toilet, looking both ways before you cross the road, pretty important. I mean, that's going to help in your life. But what's going to change your life, and all you really need to know, is Jesus. You, you, I hope you know him, but you want to know him more. You keep pressing towards that mark. Keep going. Do you know him? That's the very first question you need to answer. Not about him, but do you know him? Do you know him as your savior? If you, if you do know him, are you trying to know him better? Are you accessing that power? Are you just sitting in the car making a bunch of loud noises? Listen, as Christian people, as church people, many times we know what to say, when to say it, what, where, where to go, what, when to stand up, for the most part, what songs we're going to sing. We know all those things. That's not power. That, that's just the outward appearance of it sometimes. Is it, is it, is it a, a, evident in our daily living? Is it evident in our sufferings? In order to do so, you have to die to self. Paul knew a lot of things, but he wanted to know one thing better, the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you stand with your heads bowed and with your eyes closed? We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.